Hey everyone, welcome to the Live, Ride, Learn podcast. This is your host, Sarah Higner, and uh, today we are diving back into the memoir, Finding Gideon. But before we get started, just a word from our sponsor. Today's episode of Live, Ride, Learn is brought to you by Streamhorse TV. Streamhorse TV is the premier international digital community where horse enthusiasts come together to expand their horizons in equine sports and culture. Streamhorse TV is elevating equestrian entertainment, increasing accessibility, and boldly uniting the global horse world. Celebrating the horse is our beloved common thread. Follow the herd over to Streamhorse TV for their groundbreaking free video series, articles, and the Streamhorse TV guide. Subscribe to Streamhorse TV for free at www.streamhorse.tv and follow them on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Streamhorse TV. All right, guys, are you ready? So, uh,. Little update. If you missed last week's episode, it was a tough one um, because if you had been tuning into the book, you know that Silas had been sick. And so, anyway, I don't even want to talk about it. If you want to know more, go back and listen to the episode. All right, guys, if you missed chapters one, two, or three, this is your chance to pause the podcast and go back and listen to earlier episodes. Today, we will be diving into chapter four, a little update on where we're at. Um, we just had the flashback. I hope you enjoy the flashbacks. I've had very good reviews on them. Um, but we just had the flashback where I was back in Kentucky and side note, I found the pictures from that day. The other day I was going through my office and I found the photo album. So that was really fun. Um, and then, so, so we, I'm like, I'm in the ambulance. The flashback was going to the track. So now we are at chapter four. Here we go. I watched the EMT's eyes follow the monitors as she asked questions about my life. I told her I moved to Louisville to gallop and attend school. She told me track accidents kept them quite busy, and she wasn't sure why people rode racehorses. Why don't you find a more tame hobby, she suggested. I almost laughed. People didn't get it. She chatted as my mind drifted half with her, half somewhere, anywhere, but here. In the middle of a cheery sentence, mid-word, she fell silent. I tore my eyes from the ceiling to see why, only to notice an absence of happy creases by her eyes and a mouth transformed into a thin line. Okay, sweetie, I'm going to need you to take steady, deep breaths. Her eyes focused on a machine to my left. I tried to turn my head, but I was trapped, panic built. Before I could get too desperate, she spoke, gentle and urgent. Deep breath in. Okay, great. Now breathe out, breathe in. Breathe out. My heart hammered in my chest as I attempted purposeful, deep breaths. Her brows furrowed, glancing between me and the machines. Breathe in. Breathe out. My brain raced. Am I dying? I don't feel like I'm dying. Just breathe. Am I dying? God, I guess if I'm dying, I'll see you soon. I'm not sure I'm ready to die, but who is? <laughs> Help me, God. Am I dying? If I don't die, can I please stay in Kentucky? Breathe in. Breathe out. And, as if a switch flipped, the muscles in her face relaxed and she continued our conversation. I guess I'm not dying. <laughs> we rocked back and forth when the ambulance turned into a gas station. 
Okay, I'm definitely not dying, or they wouldn't be stopping here, I thought. I'm going to run in and get some milk to help preserve this tooth, the driver hollered before I heard the door open and close. Does that really work? I asked the EMT. I mean, I had heard of this, but logically it seemed unlikely. I don't know, she answered with a shrug, but it's worth a shot to try to save that tooth for you. I wouldn't argue with that. The door clicked and the ambulance lurched as the guy climbed back into the driver's seat. I got milk! He poured some into a cup where my tooth sat at the bottom. What hospital do you want us to take you to? He asked. The Jewish hospital was nearby. From the interstate, you could see its stunning chandelier. I didn't know much about hospitals, but I knew I wasn't Jewish. Did it matter? Back home, we went to the Baptist hospital. Did we go because we were Baptist? Surely any place created to help hurt and sick people would take me. A wave of shame hit hard. I felt judgy, naive. I was pretty sure it didn't matter. There is no way it mattered. But what if it did? Was there an authority figure standing at the door with a clipboard asking, Are you Jewish? And then I'd embarrassedly mutter, No. And the EMTs would load me back into the ambulance. Grumbling at my naivety. That couldn't be how it worked. But what if it was? I stewed until the driver yelled, We drove past the Jewish hospital. Where do you want to go? I stared at the ceiling and mumbled. They tossed out names. Eventually I said, Just take me to the university hospital. It seemed neutral enough. A safe option. It was close to campus and my apartment. The EMTs hefted me out of the gurney and wheeled me through the ambulance-only entrance. Pain radiated through my neck and my back ached against the unbending plastic. I wonder if I'm actually hurt. Robert raced to me, interrupting the thought. Sarah, I've got your mom on the phone. I told her about everything. Do you want to... Robert, just let me talk to her. I needed her to hear my voice, to know I was well enough to talk. This is what I did when I got hurt. Robert held the phone to my ear. Hi, Mom. Uh, so I think I'm going to be okay, but I had an accident on the track. I can't really talk because we're just getting into the hospital. Okay, do you need us to come up? No, I think it's okay. I lied. Yes, my mind screamed. But if they come, they might take me home. I won't risk that. Plus, they'll do surgery and fix me up. This will all be over with within a day or two. God, please help calm my parents' nerves and don't let them come get me. Okay, well, let me talk to the doctor or someone, Mom said. Okay, love you. Robert took the phone and handed it to the EMT. She talked to Mom before handing the phone back to Robert. As he promised Mom he would take care of me, my eyelids drooped. I drew into myself and blocked out the world. Can this be over already? Can they just roll me in and fix me up? The EMT from the back of the ambulance leaned over my shoulder, her dark brown curls grazing my face. Don't worry, sweetie. I talked to your mom, and they said they won't make you come home. My cheeks tinged pink, and I wondered if I was less with it than I realized. I didn't realize I had shared that fear out loud. Thank you. I drew the words out, hoping she heard the sincerity. The wheels of the ambulance gurney rolled to a stop inside a curtained room. There were several rooms with walls of fabric. A bustling nurse's station stood in the center of it all. They leaned over computers, rode on cup clipboards and tossed things on the counter before hurrying off to another patient. We're going to need to lift you and move you over to the hospital gurney, okay, sweetie? The female EMT said, her eyes filled with apology. Okay, that's fine, I replied. Why does she need to apologize? This is her job, right? With one EMT at my head and the other at my feet, they one, two, threed and lifted me swiftly and gently, transferring me, the orange board and the neck brace of misery, to the hospital gurney. I'm going to need to fill out paperwork, but I'll drop back in to check on you, she promised. The driver waved and nodded as he wheeled the rolling bed away. And then I was alone.
Trying to distract myself from the pain that spread along my back and neck, I zoned in on the conversation next door. Two nurses asked a man questions, but his voice slurred and he repeated himself. It couldn't be later than 10 a.m. I don't understand. Is he drunk from last night? Is it drugs? How old is this guy? He sounds older, like maybe in his 50s? Is he homeless? My mind painted an image of a white man with flushed red skin, a week of stubble, and greasy dark brown hair nearly touching his eyes. A familiar face popped in. Okay, sweetie, I filled out the paperwork. I've got to get back on the road, but I wanted to say bye and wish you the best. Her eyebrows furrowed and her eyes glistened with guilt I didn't understand. Her compassion touched me, but the sooner she left, the sooner the nurses would show up and get me fixed. It will be fine, I told myself as I bid her farewell and again thanked her for her help. Her warmth was still in the room when Robert ducked in. He rocked back and forth, glancing around. Is he nervous? Well, Sarah, everything is taken care of. I've got to go check on my horses, and I decided I'm going to go ahead and get back home to Mississippi when I'm done. So I've got to get going. Okay, I replied, trying to understand what was going on, why his plans had changed so suddenly, and what the hurry was. Thank you, Robert. An awkward tension filled the space between us. He needed to go. I needed to get fixed. He wished me luck, told me to call him if I needed anything, and ducked out. Within this hive of activity, I was completely alone. Closing my eyes, I filled my lungs with as deep of a breath as I could. It felt like the straps restricted even my lungs. Letting the air out slowly, pain momentarily consumed me. Nurses will be here soon. I'm in a hospital in Louisville, Kentucky, I reminded myself. I couldn't decide which was more significant. I'm in a hospital or I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. Was I still living my dream if I was simply in Louisville or did I need to be on the back of a racehorse? Somehow, Kentucky had become as much a part of the dream as the horses, like I couldn't have one without the other. Three weeks before, my truck sagged with the weight of furniture, clothes, and the gold shag rug I'd saved from my grandparents' trash bin. Gideon rode behind in a two-horse trailer. Suitcases full of clothes took the space for a second horse. Mom and my new dog, Sandy, sat next to me, staring ahead as rain drummed the roof and windshield, making it hard to see. I crept out of the Winterview Farm parking lot on our way to Kentucky, thrilled to finally be driving toward my dream. My brother, Joel, swore as long as we drove fast, the forward movement would create an air pocket and keep things in the back of the truck dry. I really hoped he was right. Everything needed to be moved into my third floor apartment that evening. I wasn't sure if I really believed in luck, but maybe this was like rain on a wedding day, a sign of good things to come. With a white-knuckled grip on the steering wheel, I drove north on I-55. The CD player rotated between No Doubt, Shane and Shane, and Jack Johnson. Every song had a memory, from being 15 feet away from Gwen Stefani at Voodoo Fest in New Orleans, to watching the sunrise on the back of my friend Lauren's boat when we were out near early to catch the good water. If I focused too much on what I was leaving behind, I turn around. I loved my life, my family, friends, church, all of it. There was just this one thing they couldn't give me, the chance to gallop racehorses. I knew little about the racing industry, but it didn't take a master to know there was a ton of racing in Kentucky. My apartment and the University of Louisville were less than five minutes from the Churchill Downs. I could wake up early, work at the track, and then head to class all by 10 a.m. It took me about 15 phone calls before I found the trainer who would teach me to gallop. He said to call him when I got to town. 
There was a lot riding on a five-minute phone conversation, but all I could do was trust that Craig would be good on his word. If he wasn't, surely someone else would help me out. The rain poured. The rain pounded loud enough that we could barely hear the music, much less converse. I had a lot to say to my mom, and she probably had a lot to say to me, but the unspoken words just drifted around us in the hum of the rain. I love you. Thank you. Leaving doesn't mean I don't love you. I see your love for me and the way you're helping me leave a scholarship and home for this crazy dream. They hadn't wanted me to move to Kentucky. If my dad had his way, I would have graduated from their alma mater, Mississippi College, and gone to medical school. But I guess they also learned that when I truly wanted something, it was like stopping a runaway horse. They showed their support in their own subtle ways. Mom was driving up with me to help me get settled, and Dad had gone with me to get my dog Sandy. Plus, he would meet us in a couple of days. The focus on driving in a downpour helped keep my mind on what was directly ahead. Three hours in, the rain broke. My brain was mush, and my hands shook. We needed a break. Mom and I discussed getting Gideon out. This was my first long drive with the horse, and if my nerves were frayed, he was probably exhausted as well. We pulled into a vacant lot next to a gas station in rural Tennessee. I undid the latches so the ramp could drop to the ground, and Gideon turned his head just enough to see me in his peripheral vision. He was definitely looking forward to getting off the trailer. Southern summer heat combined with the post-rain humidity clung to our skin as Gid carefully reversed down the ramp, getting all four feet onto solid ground. He took a deep stretch, straightening his front legs and poking his haunches in the air like a cat after a good nap. Then he lifted his magnificent head into the air, ears forward, taking in his surroundings. Then he put his head down and tore into the sprigs of grass, poking up. We relaxed in the Tennessee sun as rain lifted from the ground in hazy steam. Mom and I chatted about our to-do list and checked on my things. Everything felt damp, but not waterlogged. Thirty minutes later, energized by the ranch with <laughs> energized by the rest with our nerves calmed, I tugged on Gid's lead rope. Come on, Gid, it's time to go. We had become lunchtime entertainment for a group of workers who sat on the curb eating. With awkward, polite nods to the guys, I pulled again on the rope to lift Gid's head from the grass and get him loaded in the trailer. He lifted his head, planted his feet, and refused to budge. It took over an hour, maybe even two hours. I used every tactic and technique I had ever learned to get that horse back on the trailer, all while a crowd of guys sat drinking mega cans of Arizona tea and watched. I sweated, prayed, fought tears, and muttered curse words. I scanned the horizon thinking of our long drive to his new barn in Indiana and what would happen if he didn't get back on the trailer. Then I realized, unless he ran away from me, which he probably wouldn't do, he'd eventually walk up that ramp. The gawking onlookers dispersed, bored or needing to get back to work, and I took a deep breath. <sighs> However long it took, it would happen. Eventually, Gid exhaled a deep sigh of his own before he clip-clopped his way into the trailer. I yelled to Mom, who quickly latched the butt bar. Once the bar was in place, which would keep him secure in his compartment, I tied him to the trailer with a quick-release knot. Together, Mom and I lifted the heavy ramp while Gideon jerked tendrils of hay from the hay net, completely chill, as if he hadn't just cost us an additional hour or more on our trip. During a quick walk around the trailer to make sure everything was closed, I threw up a prayer of gratitude under my breath. Lesson learned. Never take a horse off the trailer in the middle of a road trip unless I'm planning to stay the night. A couple of hours later than planned, we dropped Gideon at his new home in Indiana. 
I found this farm on the internet, and it was affordable. The owner swore it would only take 35 minutes to get from his barn to downtown, but it was closer to an hour later when we pulled up to my apartment in downtown Louisville. Dad joined us a day later. We visited Churchill Downs, unpacked my things, made sure I was set to start classes at UofL, and ate at local restaurants. Meals were quiet and tense. I thought at any moment my parents would change their minds. I had persisted, believed, and set this plan into motion, but now that it was happening, it felt unreal. After three short days, we stood in the privacy of my tiny corner bedroom saying goodbye. They hugged me, mom cried, and dad said little. He was probably hiding a pile of his own emotions. Then they went down the rickety stairway to their car and drove away. The apartment felt empty. I felt empty. In my visions of Kentucky, there were horses, racetracks, and bluegrass. I had never imagined the moments my parents walked out of my apartment to drive back to their lives while I stayed in a new place with approximately four acquaintances. Sandy pressed her nose against me. It was Sandy, Gideon, and me, ready to take on the world. I tried to pump myself up, but my heart stayed heavy. In the chasm, I just wanted to lie down. Instead, Sandy and I hopped into my blue GMC Sierra and headed to Indiana to see Gid. That's it. That one felt longer than the other ones. Anyway, now you have traveled up to Kentucky with me and you've seen what I've left behind and what I'm running towards. And uh, I wonder what's going to happen in chapter five. All right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Live, Ride, Learn podcast and stay tuned because I am working on the Kickstarter because I want to bring you a fantastic book with top-notch editing and a beautiful cover. The cover on the podcast is something I threw together on Canva, but I want to bring you a beautiful professionally done cover and also professional pod, not podcast, professional audiobook. Um, I will be narrating it since it's my story and I just think narrators should narrate you know, when it's like a memoir autobiography, people should narrate their own thing if they can. So I'll be narrating it, but I'm going to need editing and studio time and all kinds of stuff. So if the audio is top notch. So anyway, stay tuned for information on Kickstarter. I'm going to be doing it, I believe the month of February. So February 1 through 28, we will hustle and see if we can get this book kickstarted so that everything is covered and the release will be in spring. Ah! I'm not panicking. You're panicking. Uh, Okay. So um, I have some more exciting updates that I will share with you in the next episode um, that are not book related. They are horse related. So you'll have to come back to hear more. So be sure to subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode. And thanks so much for tuning in to the episode this week of the Live, Ride, Learn podcast where we are learning and growing together through stories. Don't forget to have grace for yourself and grace for others. Bye, y'all.